And quite frankly, I believe that it'd be helpful if we all spent more time in the present moment, because that's where our love is. It's where our connection is. It's where, that's where our meaning is. And it's, yeah, sure. We want to plan and we want to be intentional about where we spend our time, effort, energy, and it's nothing wrong with investing time to be spontaneous or creating space to do the, all of these things. But how intentional we are, it's really important. Hello, everyone. Tim Winders here. Welcome to Seek, Go, Create. I have better voice this week than I did probably on the last, if you listen to last week's recording, I was almost voiceless, had some kind of scratchy thing going. I don't know. My wife hasn't told me she thinks it's a sexy voice. I'm just really hopeful that she thinks it is, but I've got a little raspy thing going, but this is where we dive into the minds of extraordinary individuals who are redefining success. Today is no different. We're looking for people that are living with intention. And our guest today is we have Chris Yonker. He's the founder of the Center for Conscious Living and Fulfillment. And he's a performance coach. He's the author of the book that I did read a couple of weeks ago, Soul Intention, an executive's guide to living a life by choice, not by chance. Love that title. So today we're going to talk to Chris and look at his unique methodology to gain insights into how we can create lasting, positive change in our lives. Chris, welcome to Seek, Go, Create. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I've been looking forward to because I'm like going, man, this is guy. Oh, I, I love the things he says and all that he stands for. This is the first time we've spoken live. So let's pretend that I just bumped into you and I want to say, Chris, what do you do? What is your response when somebody asks you that question? I've changed the answer on that question over time. If by a lot of us entrepreneurs have done so, it's interesting. The simple answer today is I help people get out yeah. of their suffering. That's not why they call me, but it's really why they call me. So that's not on your marketing materials or anything no. like that. I was going to say, I'm wondering how that no, would play out. Yeah. I just got introduced to a family this past week and I was talking to one of the family members this morning and I said, really what you want is a higher level of peace of mind. And, and so that you can enjoy your life at a higher level and not be so wrapped up in, you know, the pain you're experiencing, if you will, around your pending transition. I, the reason that is so cool how you responded is because as someone who some, in some ways we have similar titles, I guess, executive coach, leadership coach, whatever. And so when we talk to people about what we do, sometimes it, there's tangible things, mm. but like you just said, there's all these intangibles, but I think those intangibles, it's really what it's, what it's all about. And I think it's so many times for me, maybe for you, I'm going to ask it as a question. It's really hard to communicate mm. those intangibles. Do you see that? Yeah. 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 Well, it's, a, it's a really good question. So what I, and we experience our reality through our senses, right? And, and so what I, I'll, I keep contextualized. In fact, when I was telling the same person this morning, I asked, I said, let's, let's pretend that we, let's pretend that we work together. And then I work with you and your family. 
And let's just put ourselves out in our timeline out in, out, out in December. And it's wrapping up the end of the year. And you, as you look around you, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? What are you experiencing that's changed over today? That if you said, boy, I am so glad we worked with Chris and his team. And this is now what I'm witnessing that's changed in my life. And, and so really what you're looking at is if there's like a baseline, what is it? What's different now? And yeah. I also, I hate to keep revisiting the time frame of 2021 to 2020, late 2022 or whatever. But have you noticed, because I know you've been doing this for a while, have you noticed a significant difference in the way people respond to that as we went into a COVID and now post-COVID environment yeah. that it's just really thrown gas on the fire or made it hyper, made people more hyper aware of it? What's been your observations going yeah. through that? Because I've seen so many changes in myself and others. What are you seeing? And the first thing, especially for, and I work with people internationally. So there's, it depends on you know, the little bit of a, you know, a so for some folks, it's I'll speak more from the Western world because it's where most of my clients are. It's, we got, we don't really talk about our mortality and there's a few things in life, right? Morta our mortality and change, the two things that we resist the most typically that are inevitable. Now we all are going to experience, it's always going to be changed, right? Unless there's a permanent idea around impermanence. And also we're all going to die. We don't know when it is. And with COVID, it was like, wow, it is real. It was like, and remember the vivid, you go back and say, what did you experience? What do you remember? It was like New York and I had friends and I'm sure you did too in New York city and craziness. And then you know, like, I, we actually knew someone who had kids in New York city. I see they're young adults, but I call them their kids, right? And they came up here to New Hampshire. He got it. He died. He was in his fifties. And we're like, this is our backyard, right? Like the first couple of months, we're like, holy crap, this is like when you experience something like that. And then you're, and granted, I'm not a huge fan of the media because I never really truly know what all is real and not. And I don't like other people to think for me. I like to think for myself, but regardless, there's still some, let. I, we actually I did have friends who had friends in hospitals in New York to verify that there were bodies building up and there was like, that was real. And, um, that's a reminder and you cannot deny that reminder. And the fact that something that you might, well, work around or try to try not to spend a lot of time, someone passes, you, you want to, it's the funniest damn thing in our society, but my experience has been. We got to have the funeral, get the damn thing over with and get it behind me as soon as possible. Right. So I can get back to with my life, whatever the hell that means. I'm going to get back to it. I'm going to get back into my life now. So I can, in essence, in some cases, I want to get back to my sleepwalking so that I, because I think these events can be experiences to wake up and realize that perhaps you can step out of the movie and, and think about the movie that you're in instead of just participating without thinking about it. Um, so that, I think that the, the answer to your question from my perspective is, I think that's the biggest vantage point. And then also I think the other experience that we had is as we were forced to everywhere, it's even happened even more on like in Asia where people are just can't go anywhere. 
you're locked in. No one's coming in. No one's going out. You are where you are. And you're going to spend time with these people called your family. And, well, this is cool. I'm going to go for a walk and not feel guilty about it because everyone else is doing that at one o'clock in the afternoon because it's groovy. It truly got people outside. Again, another experience to wake up outside of the realm, outside the running, 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 go, 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 go. Busy, 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 busy contest. Who's busy? Are you busy? I'm busy. Oh my God. How are you? Busy. I bet you're busy, huh? I mean, that, that conversation and slowed everything down to say, Hey, we can actually spend time together. We can actually connect. And I do value my life. If I do value my health, I do value my family. Perhaps I might've been not congruent in my behavior in valuing these things in regards to how I participated in my life. Perhaps mm. I might want to make a change in that regard. So I, for me that, and that was exciting for someone that works a lot with family businesses to see the amount of folks who um, just say, you know what, maybe I'm willing to let some things go right now, make some changes with my business and my family or whatever that looks like. Or in some cases, I had a lot of last three years, I've had a lot of exit business people who are just privately held companies and work with the founder and owner. What are we going to do? What's going to be next? Or people hire me. We just sold their business trying to figure out what am I going to do with a place next for me. So the, the fascinating thing about what you just said, first of all, you triggered a lot of thoughts in my head and the thing you mentioned about people coming to terms or grips with their, uh, the life expectancy and all there. We experienced that during the course of that. My father passed away. I, I don't know how many funerals I attended probably two that were virtual, that were pretty much a horrible experience. It was just yeah. really not yeah. well done. I looked at somebody's back the whole time we tried to, but they didn't want people to be there because of all, and I get it all. I do think it caused a bit of a, I hate to use this, overuse this word reset, but a reset with things because my father passed away. He actually was diagnosed with dementia right as the pandemic was started. We also believe that the lockdown and things like that kind of accelerated it. We can't prove that, but it just seems like it did. Of course it did. He and mom were boxed in, couldn't go anywhere, things like that. And, but the fascinating thing was when he finally passed in December of last year, all of us as a family just said, you know what? He passed on a Thursday night. We have to do a service on Saturday or Sunday. Why don't we wait until the spring? Let's do a celebration of life. It relieves a lot of stress for us and we could go through the bit of that grieving process and not deny what just happened. Like you talked about earlier. I think a lot yeah. of people are living superficial lives, very flesh oriented. What's going to make me happy today. And I want to tie in the title of your book here. We'll talk a little bit more about it later. I've got a couple of questions and highlights I want to go through, but when I introduced you earlier, I said the title was soul intention. And I want to make sure the listener or the person watching this knows it's S-O-U-L intention, not S-O-L-E. And what I think people have come in touch with, and you just said it just a minute ago, is I think they're really looking more into their soul and seeing what's my core values, what's important to me, not just what society says, not what the media, you brought up the media and we could I don't care which side people are on. 
we don't need to be parking our brains with the media giants and saying, what do you believe I should think? So right. I think that was really awesome. So let's tie in. We don't back away from spiritual stuff here. And throughout your book, you brought up, you had some scripture, you had some Eastern type stuff. You had a lot of stuff in there, which, which I think is cool, but let's go ahead and bring in the power of the spiritual aspect to all that we've seen gone on and really all about who we are. And I'll just bring it yeah. up that way. And you just share whatever you yeah. want to relate it to sure. that. Yeah. When I privately work with someone, uh, we're going to dig into two questions and I don't typically tell them this on the front side, but if you're listening right now, I guess you'll know. The first one is, who am I? Now that's that, I think these two questions are quite frankly, probably the biggest illusions, the biggest illusions we have, right? Who am I? And I wouldn't go on and on about that one. And some people that answer that identify as a, a role I play in my life, which is not who you are. Or a title but, or a simple title. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A title. Yeah. So these are all right. labels. Human language is, is I'm, I was trained in neurolinguistic programming and became a practitioner and my mentor had always said that the human language is the, it's, I was like a Bandler quote, I think it's the biggest trance there is. Cause it really think about it, our language creates our reality. We associate everything and there are languages that don't even have words in them like shame or guilt. Like, how is that possible? Right? Is it, wouldn't that be interesting to not even know what that construct is, but that's sideline, but who am I? Who am I? And then the other question I ask people to sit with, and I'll talk about sitting with too, what I mean by that is why am I here? And that question comes to go into how does the world work? And people might start thinking about like the, the whole process of life in general. Like, why am I here? And they're questions that I believe the answers can change throughout our lives. Also, our perspective may change on those and we should be open to that. But I don't, on my opinion, when I work with folks and we're doing vision work, I built this hierarchy fulfillment. And at the base of that, the first base of the foundation is spirituality. It's my context to, and that book in chapter three, which I wrote that book a while, I continue to think, keep thinking about revising it, but just not feeling called to do so right now. But a lot of what I've thought about at that time has changed a little, not bad, but just re re revised. But, but that chapter three, I remember the chapter number and I remember it was my most favorite, I, the most important, to me, the most important part of the book. Cause there's a relationship to something beyond ourselves. And I kind of question folks. I, I had some clients and one in particular I can think of who is, was up a celebrity profile client. I had a very big follow, in fact, had two different names though. One name was the name that you and I would know. And another name was the name that everyone else knew. And so that creates a little bit of a conflict on who I am. That's for sure. But also they were very much, they were unhappy there. They got, they referred to me because they're, they were just having a hard time producing. They're a creative person and their part of their work was around creativity and their was called writing music. And. And, but that really was the problem, right? The problem wasn't like, oh, how do you come up with strategies and be more creative? Well, let's find a way. That's, that's, that's going to get so much steeper than that. And needless to say, there's a lot of trauma from the past that we had to get into that was holding them where they were and their frame point of who they were and why they're here. 
And once we shifted those things, their lives totally, everything shifted, right? And, but that's where the work really needed to go. And you say, how did we learn this stuff? It comes from society, it comes from our parents, it comes from people, however we let into our world. But there's a, there's an opportunity to really explore this relationship with something beyond ourselves. And anyway, so this person, I did not, was a Bithian atheist. And I'm a salesperson. I started in sales in 1992 at 3M when I got hired in sales. I worked there for over 25 years before I left. And so I have a sales background, which has been very beneficial to me. So I thought, what's the benefit of not believing in and what, what would be the benefit of believing? Like, let's just, let's just go there. Let's, and so anyway, I, we got to a point where they were willing to think differently. Like, well, when I had another person that was part of an organization I was working with, and they had, they, they kind of person where there's, this stuff happens to them, crisis, epic crisis. The last crisis that ended up happening was he went down to one of the islands, got married. And he was, they were out having, you know, just got married, having a great time was with his best man, his best friend, his whole life. And his wife was there and his best man and a couple of people at the wedding party and the bridesmaids. And they're just, they just had this little private intimate ceremony, just beautiful the beach, everything else. Why not have some drinks? Just having just a ball. And his friend stepped out off the curb and got ran over by a bus. Think about that. Boom. Right there in front of him. Seconds later, he's holding his friend's head in his hand. Like, this, this is legit, man. You can't make this stuff up. And the owner of that business reached out to me. I was actually on vacation. And I told my client, if there's ever an emergency, this is to me, this isn't a situation. If this happened, he is like in a really bad place and he needs to talk to someone. Like he needs, like, I don't know what to do. I said, all right, I'll call him. So I did. And I still remember I was wearing Grand Cayman or I remember the, I was sitting in the hotel room calling this guy. And, Tell me all the story and everything else. He's like, and he was like so mad. He didn't have any faith structure. And I'm like, man, this is the time. I would, I would say that this is a, probably a really good time perhaps to start one. Cause I don't know if you can get through this alone. I don't think you can get to this alone. And so the fact of the matter is that I said, well, let's do this. Why don't you just do, do this? I'll give you homework. Assignment. It's like, all right. Why don't you just pray to, well, how we would say, if God, if you're okay with that word, pray to God, it's got it. If you're really there, can you give me a sign? And I'm like, I'm going to go on, I'm going to go on some faith here myself. Cause I you know, you know I, this guy's, he's, he's a bit skeptical now. So I don't know what's going to happen. And, uh, and I don't remember exactly what transpired to, to the detail, but more or less what happened was it was a real such weird situation. He had just gotten back and he was driving on the expressway. And the bus that ran over was like a smaller bus and whatever. It was like a full size, but it was like a good size one. But there was a broken bus, same color, on a trailer bed on the expressway right next to him. Uh, literally like the next the day after we had that exercise. He was like, and then also a song came on the radio that day. It was also something they played. So there was bangers like, I just, just uh, odds of these things. Like, I just, I don't know. I'm like, what if it was? Now what? And it opens up 
a container for possibility. And if we can get out of the place of, because if we think you're in control, I think we got a challenge on our hands. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have authority and we don't, God gave us choice. We have the choice of what we think and what we do. We, that was the gift he gave us. So we do it. We have that, but we don't have full control and autonomy over everything. I think you do it. You're nuts. But there's the, I invite people into this idea of what if we can co-create our reality on, on, on a field that's built on purpose. So that's where I was going with that soul intention. The, the reason that I think that is so interesting to me is that I've recently written some things in a novel that I wrote and the main character was going through somewhat of a soul searching, just as you've mentioned. And the thing that I used to define fate was very similar to what you just said. And that is really, this is the way I'm wording it just for quick reference, understanding that the world doesn't revolve around you, that there's always something bigger than just you. Because I think you brought up that word control. I think many high achievers, many people that are successful in business, and I'll use air quotes, successful, because I think success is relative. That's why we redefine what success means quite a bit here, because often it's not what we think it is. It's really just having the perspective of there is something in this world bigger than me. And listen, if we're talking to someone who's hardcore into the ministry or something, they don't quite get this. They think, oh, we need to be talking about, throw a scripture at them, tell them all about Jesus Christ, blah, blah, blah. I'm going, yeah, I get that, but they're not ready for that. They just need to understand that the world doesn't revolve around me. I needed to know that when I was coming along yeah. because I really did think that the world revolved around me and that I had a high degree of control. And like you said, we do have authority. We do have the ability to do things. We can speak things and there's NLP program. There's all these things that are great. But at the end of the day, we're part of a bigger picture. And I love how you brought that up. And I do want to come back to some other things related to the book shortly in just a moment. But there's something that's been rolling around in my head that I want to make sure that we clarify and maybe get a few items related to that. You work primarily with family businesses. And so I'd love for you to say a couple things about that. I've been a part of a family business that did very well and then disintegrated. And I know that there's some uniqueness to all of that. I've actually got some clients that have family business where husband and wife work together, or there's some siblings and things like that. But tell me, because that's, I don't think that's your only niche, but that's your primary niche. Would no. that be correct? Yeah. I, it's probably 75% of the work that we're doing, but it's not, yeah, it, I would say almost a hundred percent of our work and 90% of our work is privately held companies, period. And then a majority of that, two thirds, three quarters is family held businesses because I just, it ended up finding me. And then I pursued getting, becoming an FFI certified, become a business advisor, understanding governance and things that would help me work with families on a much higher level. Yes. So let's start with one thing that would be, I think, basic and foundational for someone that might be listening in that might be a family business owner and then someone who may not. What are the biggest differences in privately held family type business versus, I don't even know how to, non-family type business or even something that's a little more, it's, they've got investors or it's not privately held or something like that. Just give a contrast to understand well, the things we need to understand. 
Okay, so let's look at three, maybe three different vantage points. So you got one, you got corporate America. Okay, corporate America to me is where I came from, 3M. A company that is publicly held. They're stock owners, or could be a private equity company. Okay, so it's where there's, where, where in essence, someone is looking and defining success by a bottom line and a quarterly objective. That's typically, I'm narrowing the scope here, but that's, Typically the experience, my experience working in corporate America, even, and I've done some consulting projects when I have one right now with a multi-billion dollar company that we're working with. And my experience in working with these large organizations is outside of their bureaucracy is that there's a lot more bureaucracy. And also at the end of the day, my experience has been that decisions are being made on what's going to be best for stock performance quarter to quarter. Now it's best for the customer. Now it's best for the employee. Now it's best for the, for the world at large. It's what's best for the on our earnings and how we report. Now that's saying they don't have any integrity. That's not that point. It's just that we you talk about values. We take you do the same work. We define core values. We unpack core values so someone can embody them, not just talk about them. But then also we stack rank them, right? And then we want to deliver an integrity to what we stack rank. And from my experience. So decisions are always being made was around what's going to, what's going to drive the bottom line, what's going to make stock look the best period. So that's my experience with corporate America and why we don't do a lot of work there, but we do just some, the other spaces. One, one quick, yeah, one quick pause for you there, Chris, I'm very similar. I came from corporate America. I worked there about 10 years and I have found that the work it's good work. It pays, there's usually, I'll just say it this way. There's usually an extra zero or so on the tail end of the fees. And this kind of speaks to my core values. It sounds like you're similar is that it's harder to have an impact. It is because of the structure. And again, not saying yes. good or bad, it just is what it is. And I've gotten to where I shy away from it because at the end of the day, I've gotten a bigger check and I'm not, I'm not trying to act real virtuous or anything here. It's just. I don't feel as if I and the work that we've done have accomplished and made as much of an impact as I think these next two areas you're about to share with us. Yeah. That's been my observation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you're talking about like, I, you and I want to drive transformation. And if we're working with an owner of a business that can make decisions tomorrow uh, and have a larger impact on their the buying clients, they care about their employees, they care about their clients. They care about the legacy of their business, the impact of their business on the greater whole. And they don't necessarily stack rank any of those things. Those are all really important to them. It's, and sometimes they may even lose money to do what's better for the environment. At times they might do what's better for the employee than what's better for their own pocketbook. Darren, COVID, we lost half of our business because we were working with smaller clients at the time. The different portfolio and the clients that we were working with, they were really impacted. They're shutting down. They weren't operating. So I kept my staff, W2, my 1099s. I didn't cut anyone's hours. I just cut mine. I didn't pay myself. I just paid everyone else. Right? So like that, there was, I didn't even question, but it doing anything differently. But that's, so that's just the how business owners will do things like that. They're not saying corporate people are bad. Don't get me wrong. Those are all listening. That's that, this has been my experience working with a lot of them. The privately held space is someone owns a business. They started the business or could be their parents owned it. They bought them out. Could they bought the business from someone else? Could be any of these things. Um, 
but right, I work with a business owner. I don't typically, once in a while I'll do leadership projects. And I, if I'm working with leadership projects with the executive team, 90% of the time, from time to time, I'll get further down in the organization, but we like to work with the owner and or the executive team because we want to have the most impact we can, period. So that that's where that down lines up. On the family business side, and my definition of family business is when you have two or more people that are in a family that have ownership and or involvement in the family business. And it can be still look a lot differently and different. I have one family I'm working with where I'm nobody in the family works in the business. And it's a $400 million company and no one in the family works in the business, but they all have the ownership. Okay. They have a board, they have a CEO, a non-family CEO, all those things. And they have control, but they you know, that they, they can look that way. But typically what happens is like this, there's a typically taught in family business advising. It's like the three circle model where you got a family member, you got a business owner, and then you got someone who is in the business. And these three circles can overlap and they can interlock all different crazy ways. And that's where it gets a little complicated because you got family dynamics and then you got business dynamics. And now they're all playing in next in a business and it can get, it, you, you take dysfunction in a family and there already can be dysfunction in a business and you get them involved. It can be, it's something that uh, I found that a lot of people, they work around the problems that exist. They, they're, oh, there's a conflict here, there's heat here, or there's like, but we, in fact, we just did a webinar on this and it was an imitation only, but it was on uh, for family business owners and advisors and family space. And it was just really around difficult people and family businesses. And now what do you, how do you manage that? And so that was, we had a very engaging conversation. It was a lot of fun, but it's the stuff that, as the stuff that people like to work around is where I like to go because I, that I want to drive, I really want to drive change and I want to help people heal. One thing that's interesting to me is I've dealt with from personal standpoint business, but also a few clients that would be family. And I think something that I've observed, and I definitely don't have the reps that you have in this world is this word loyalty starts creeping in in a weird way mm. in that people believe that blood, <laughs> blood's thicker than water or whatever, all this, whatever the saying is, that there is this loyalty that comes in because it's family, but I've taken loyalty and flipped it around. I'll just mention this and you could respond. Yeah, that sounds good or no. Here's my thoughts. But I really see that loyalty is healthy when someone, going back to the spiritual, they've got a loyalty to something bigger than them. Mm -hmm. They've got a loyalty to the organization. They've got a loyalty to either superiors or coworkers, whatever. And then they've also have a loyalty to self, going back to the who am I question. Mm -hmm. And I've seen with family business that that loyalty, even like a husband-wife, I've worked with a couple of husband-wife teams that run companies. It does get really odd. We don't want anyone handling the money outside of air quotes again, family or stuff like that. So just when I mention the word loyalty related to this, what comes to mind? Yeah, I think you're, I love where you went with that. When that word comes up, it's, it's just like you said, the question automatically asking is what are you loyal to? What are you loyal to? What's that mean? And if you say I'm loyal, if we in the family, one of the things that we'll do in the family business space, the folks that do the type of work that I do, and I guess not everyone does the type of work I do in family business. I'm looking for the narrative in the family when I'm starting to work with a family. I want to understand 
what are the beliefs that family holds? So that the, there could be a narrative around loyalty in the family. Oh, you'll hear it in the expressed in the language and uncle and my dad did this and, and whatever and family first. And I always make notes of these things. Could part of where I, I, at times I might challenge some of these narratives. If those narratives are no longer serving us, they might've served us up till now, but if a family really truly wants to transform and build long-term continuity and heal past trauma and adapt for the future, there is an opportunity also at the same time to, to possibly establish and even quite frankly, to create when I was doing core value works for so long. And then now recently in the last couple of years, I started doing defining emerging values. Now working with next gens in the room, what are the values we might want to consider for the future? And that's, it's a very fun dynamic conversation, Tim, because it is all, maybe well-being. It's one that sometimes comes out like less exciting. That wasn't exit that well-being wasn't never a core value of this company for the last 125 years. In fact, I have a business 125 years and we have a, we, one of the new emerging core values that we defined in the last 90 days is well-being. That's one of them, which I think is really cool. Innovation's another one. And it was like that in their industry, it's uh, people are thinking the same way for the last 300 years. So it's, that's exciting too. So these are possibilities, but yes, loyalty is a, can, can be dangerous, but it's really these narratives and beliefs about how we behave and what we're trying to hold in integrity that quite frankly is creating our madness and we don't even realize it at the same time. Yeah. And I'll ask this and you could go in whatever direction. One of the things when someone is looking at what you do, there's this aspect of a unique methodology that you use. And you gave us a couple of the questions that you'll ask, if not blatantly ask, it's what you're asking in your head. Who am I and why am I here? Mm -hmm. But I guess I want to ask this in the form of a tip or teaching or something that you might could do over the next few minutes. What can you share about your methodology or your process or what you well, do that might be helpful for someone sitting sure. here going, man, what's something tangible I could take away yeah. from this conversation? Yeah. And someone's out there listening, they're probably a highly driven person is my guess, right? They're someone we put into an achiever, someone who's likes to perhaps are competitive and perhaps they might be overscheduled. They might be listening to us on a treadmill or on a run or whatever, right? It's they're doing something out there, mowing the lawn or whatever it might be because they like to, not because they can't hire someone to do it, but they enjoy it. Perhaps it's a, I like to cook. So I guess we all have outlets like the fish, things we like to do, right? The first order of business, I think for most folks is to create space. It's to create space. And I just started working with a restauranteur. He's working 80, 90 hours a week, like a pretty good sized company. And I'm like, okay, well, here's the first thing we're going to do. We're going to create space and we're going to do a busy season. Oh no. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to find time to do nothing. I've, and I've given this exercise to people. You're going to sit and do nothing for 10 minutes. And you wouldn't believe the resistance that maybe would Tim that I get. What? 10 minutes? Yeah. What am I going to do? Yeah. I tell people that every month, one of the, one of the things that speaking space, I have a, an executive assistant and her first order of business every month before she books, this on sites are logged out over time. So those are typically out there. First thing happens is vacations. Like we just booked a vacation for Thanksgiving for 2024. Okay. Boom. Black and 20 it's, it's out there, but it's out there. So 
creating space for that time, quality time with family. Then, then the next order of business is client on sites or speaking and things like that, right? The next order of business and invented family, whatever that might be. Then the next order of business is, okay, we're coming into, let's say it's June 10th, around June 10th, we're going into July. Tara's looking at July. What's Chris's calendar look like? First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to book a float. He's going to go sit, lay in a salt tank for an hour, right? With darkness. And if you ever done that, temporary deprivation, okay? People would be afraid of that, speaking of space and time, right? So blocking an hour for that, an hour for massage, getting me on the, on the acupuncture table with this Tim acupuncturist we've been working with for 20 years. What else goes in there? Chi one chiropractor visit, those four and four th things, and then tennis blocks every week. Those things, karate's already in there. They're already in the calendar, right? And, and the day can't start, can't do anything. There's always an hour for business development from nine to 10, 90% of the time. These things are already blocked out. The space is created intentionally for certain things and for myself. And what happens for folks is they're so overscheduled. We got sometimes we got to step back and say, what if I've had clients I've worked with that say, what if we stop working on Fridays? What? Yeah. What if we did? I don't know. You can't do that. You can't stop working on a Friday or a Friday and a Monday. I had a client that we did Friday and Monday and he still grew his business 25% with no, no implication. So I'm like, but we'll start there. Let's just start with 10 minutes. Can we just sit for 10 minutes? And then also I'll introduce him to some form of meditation and or breath work or pr my wife's trained in pranayama. She's a very seasoned practitioner in, in yoga. I practice as well, but I'm nowhere near trained as her, but I've even leveraged her and helped with clients. Let's, let's establish some type of space. If we believe that there's something that's here beyond ourselves, are we even freaking listening? Are we even listening? I, 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 we're so damn busy and someone's knocking on the door all the time. How are we going to co-create? So it's just, you know, and then if they're really resistant, you're out there like really resistant, then look at this way. You probably believe in working out. You believe in exercise. You believe in some type of cardio and you believe in some type of strength training. Most people won't push back on that. It's necessary. It's proven. It's scientific. Okay. Where do you go to, what's the gym that you go to for your mind? Where's the mind gym? Who teaches you how to run your brain to think your thoughts? And usually you get a blank stare because that's not. There isn't one. Yeah. There isn't so, the way our culture has been Right. Built. And so I'm going to, I'll work with you. Let's do that. We'll do that. That's what we're going to do. We're going to bring you in the mind gym and I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a training exercise. And then that's, that's a place I can get someone to start. Quick question for you. It may not be a quick answer, but a quick question. Have, has Chris always been that way? No. Or did you grow into it or was there a catalytic event or some life-changing event? We like to talk about redefining success here and usually I've observed that something happens that forces people to make a change. It's not always the yeah. case, but typically. When did, when and why did Chris make this adjustment? Yeah. I think it's a, it's probably ongoing incremental. I found growing up to hold this story. I'll go, I'll go over my story very quickly, but I grew up with a dual alcoholic home, sing only child, by the only child situation I, I had. Two parents that were alcoholics. One also had some addictions to pain medication. Um, and then I would say I was mentally abused for a period of time. Then I was bullied. And then also I was assaulted by a male babysitter. So you had that all into the continuum. I had a lot of 
lot coming at me. I, I found conversations with God on my, not the book per se, but like the idea of that young, at a young age, I grew up in the in Catholicism. So I, at least I had an understanding of what, I, what, and I had to pursue what that meant for myself. But so that's where that realm is. But then also I would go to the library and I'd find books like what to say when you talk to yourself by Chad Helmstetter. And I was like 13 years old and I'm like studying these things. And I'm like, cool. And the more I started realizing about myself, the more my life, the easier it became. And so I just became a personal development junkie and I studied and read and studied and read. And then later on got into audios and then karate back in like 1986, I started practicing. And then that experience created a new reality where I actually was getting good at something. And it started, I didn't know this at the time, but I started doubting my doubts about myself because I programmed myself that I wasn't good at shit and I really sucked at everything. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm really good at this though. Well, that kind of, so I'm actually got my black belt in college. It was a huge transformation because I'm like, wait a minute, I'm wearing this. I feel like an imposter for a period of time, but I still had to put it on and show up in a class. And then when I became a sensei and then I had 30, 40 students, it was, and they're listening to me and they're adults. It's created a different experience that started driving this level of transformation of what was possible. And then I hired some amazing coaches for the last 20 something years that have helped me because I can't read that. I can't read the label on my own bottle. I think that's valuable. And it really goes back to, I'll ask it this way. It sounds as if what you did was, is you've gone through this process, this journey that we all do, which is answering the questions you brought up earlier. Who am I? And why am I here? Is that correct? And I think that's a journey. I don't think it's a destination. We're still doing that. You're still doing it too, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have clarity today on that answer, but I'm open to if I got felt called to do something differently, I knew it was hard to leave at 3M when I did. It was in a pension, 401k, good six-figure income, working part-time. It, literally, it was, I left on my own accord. And because I couldn't fully embrace my purpose being there and like it just wasn't going to work anymore. I just had to, I got to go all in. And you've, I'm sure you've read the work where the hospice worker that interviewed all these people on their deathbeds. And she, and the number one was, I wish I'd, it was along the lines of, I wish I'd done what I wanted to do or where I felt called to go instead of lifting other people, being concerned how other people would think about me doing what I wanted. Something along that line. I'm like, I don't, I never want to be that person. I think the cool thing about it that I'm picking up on, I'm a guy that's sitting here in an RV and my wife and I have been traveling for 10 years. How cool is that? Living in an RV for the last four. And you're up in New Hampshire and you've left corporate and successful coaching, writing, et cetera. I, I, I think the, the lesson that someone should take it is find why you are here, who you are and why you're here. Yeah. Because my guess is it was part of your journey. But when you were at 3M, you began feeling an extreme tug. That's not why you're here. Yeah, no, I knew I wasn't. But I did a lot of transformation there. There's it still helped. a lot of people today. I, I help a lot of people move, leave and I help people who stayed and I help them figure that out too, which was really cool. I've always been doing it until I finally coach pointed out to me, you do this, you're doing this anyway. I'm like, I'm not a coach or a consultant. You're already doing it. I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, look at your life. And I, and that was, man, that was about 25 years ago. I remember that conversation. It was a while ago or 53. 
But I was like, I didn't realize it. I just had no clue this person had to point that out to me. I'm like, I am doing this? Huh. And I'm like, I never can make the money I want to make doing this until I started making, meeting people that are like, okay, I guess there is, if you're good at really good at what you're doing and somebody explained it really, it was, there's a really interesting way is people have a pain spending money, human beings, well, there's a le level of pain associated with spending money at times. Maybe even for myself, they're like, oh man, you got to get a new car. I don't really, even though I, the idea is cool, I don't want to spend it. You know, you know, whatever it is and to a threshold for anybody. But then there's also this pain that we're experiencing in our lives. And if you can really get understanding that if the, if you can take this pain over here that you're experiencing, it is ways more than what you have to separate to invest to make it go away. You'll invest some experience in working people. You found the money. You'll invest the money because whatever that is, whether it's transitioning your business, if it's a conflict, if it's a light, I had two clients that both passed away from cancer this year, one in January, one in March, both in their fifties, both wanted to work with me till the end. And because they could have conversations with me, they couldn't have with anyone else. They couldn't have it with her. They wanted to be able to have that deep connection and really lay it on the table because they felt like they, they needed to be something else or, or someone else for the family. So yeah, I, you're right. I didn't, and I didn't realize that I could do it, do both. Right. I can live the life I want, the lifestyle I want, which is all the question in all the episode is what does quality life mean? And that's a great question, right? You said, you, know, how do we, you I love your work and I'd love to have you on my show, by the way, but you know, how we redefine what success is like, that's a whole other part of the work I do and you do because you know, what's quality of life? What do you mean? And it's different for everyone. So there's no judgment around it. Maybe for me, it's being able to bring my daughter to school every week and Friday and, and the morning. And Fridays, almost all Fridays, I'm off. So I'm not working tomorrow. Playing tennis with my wife for tomorrow at 10 a.m. Like that's, I, I like those choices, right? But not, but, and being able to travel when I want, where I want to, and how I want to. So do you and think- And for you, for you too, to live anywhere you want and whenever you want to live there, right? Like how cool is that? I think it's awesome. Yeah. I love the tennis thing. I'll be playing some pickleball in the morning. I've moved to the pickleball court, which- Tennis players are going, ah, darn those darn pickleballers. But uh, so I'll be doing some swimming and pickleball tomorrow. But one question related to that, a little bit loaded because of what both you and I do, but what are the odds or is it possible for people to reach these places without coach, mentor, someone to help them along? Can they do it on their own? I don't think I could have. It sounds like you may not have thought you could have. What are your thoughts on that? And this is not a commercial I, for coaching, yeah. no, no, but no. it's about to I, be. <laughs> you know, I think, I think it's really hard to get to where you want to go without a mentor or a coach or an advisor. I don't use any term you want. Someone that has, that, that, and the person needs to understand a few things. And people can study books and that's great, but there's a few things that need to happen in order for this to occur. This is a really good question. One is you have to have a level of self-awareness. And our levels, you talk about time alone and all that stuff. Part of the reason I teach people that is I'm enhancing their self-awareness. I can't, I cannot help you beyond your own ability to be self-aware because there's a correlation to your ability to understand behavior and modify behavior. But if you can't even freaking witness it, we're going to have a really freaking hard time. Okay. So that's one piece. So you have to have that ingredient and working with, with a coach mentor. Someone that they can help you see what you can't see. And I truly believe it is very, 
hard, if not impossible, to drive transformation without someone to point out your blind spots. Because you can't see them. So you, you have to have someone do that somewhere, whatever you want to call that person. Also, you need to have, to have someone to help you develop self-awareness. And those two things, I think, are key elements. And then also, you need someone that is trained not to project, which is a whole other thing. And I work with elite coaches. I'm, on an, I'm an affiliated with another organization with high-level expert folks, very vetted out. I'm not going to talk about it right now today because I'm not here for it. But, um, but the point is that when they, these people get together in space, you have to be approved to get into that container so for them to, because they don't want anyone in there that's got, that's going to project their shit on anyone else. You have to be conscious enough not to do that. And some, co I hate to say it, but most coaches are good enough to do that on their own because what ends up happening, you and I have a conversation and then all of a sudden I'm pushing what I'm, what I mean by projection is, is I'm somehow putting my model of the world onto you, which is not fair and not right, but you have to be highly conscious not to do that. And it's not a judgment thing. It's just a, it's just a developmental thing. All right. You with me on that? I know you get it. Totally. And, totally. On. And, yeah. and so that's the other key ingredient. And when you're working with a family member or a friend, they're probably, if I'm telling you most coaches can't do it and they're trained, I, I have a hard time thinking the family because they're like, oh, we, here's what you should do. Well, run, freaking run. No one should tell you. I don't like the word should, but helping someone navigate a path. I look at my, my, my license plate says Sherpa on it. I look at myself as I'm a life journey Sherpa. That's the real, that's another answer to your question from earlier. It's helping someone navigate through, through going back to what we said earlier, their truth, their core values, not mine, not mine, their, theirs for what's best for their life. Because it's a different for every one of us. I think that one thing, there's a statement that I have. Someone asked me what my favorite quote is very often. And one of my favorite quotes, and I don't know who this is attributed to, I can claim it, is thou shall not fool thyself. And to me, I think it's really easy for, if we're isolated, especially looking back over the last few years and we're just to ourselves or just hanging around with our people around us, it's really easy to fool ourselves. I think it's really easy to be deceived and fool ourselves in this world. And so I agree with you. And I think the value of having someone who is really why they're here on this earth is to coach people. I think a lot of people hang the title coach with themselves just for the dollar bills because it can be lucrative. But I think people that are really wired to do it have the ability to reach inside people and pull out the greatness that's there, wh whatever it is. It's not my greatness. It's not yours. It's that person's greatness. And I think that is, I think that's really cool. I've got about 20 questions and about four minutes that I want to get them in. But there's one that I want to ask of a highlight that I have in your book, Soul Intention, and it relates to that time and space that you talked about earlier. The truth is, this is just in my Kindle, it was on page 34, and it's under, are you resourceful? But I want to talk about time as we wrap up and get to the end here. Mm -hmm. The truth is, this is a statement you make in the book. The truth is that time does not exist. Time is a human concept. We use it to measure and plan. And I think at the root of a lot of what we're talking about is our perception or idolization. We idolize time, our calendars, our schedules, what's on our watches, our, all of those things. So 
talk a little bit about that as we wrap up and whatever you want to say about the book, because we're not going to be able to dive deep into it, but that was a cool nugget that I got from the book. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. No time's a construct. I like this is the current moment. Everyone's heard that. But yeah, I think, I don't think we, all of our emotions, I talked about this a little bit in the book, I believe is our, our time contextualized. I want to have anxiety. I have to go to the future and think about what can go wrong. I can't experience anxiety in the present moment. I'm fully anchored in the present moment. The past is not a storehouse for pain. The past is a place to hold memories and learnings, right? Key memories, things, these amazing experiences we've had. Future to place a plan, to dream, a vision. And quite frankly, I believe that it'd be helpful if we all spent more time in the present moment, because that's where our love is. It's where our connection is. It's where, that's where our meaning is. And it's, yeah, sure. We want to plan and we want to be intentional about where we spend our time, effort, and energy, and it's nothing wrong with investing time to be spontaneous or creating space to do the, all of these things. But how intentional we are, it's really important. I, I think the reason it's important for me, and this is where people need to identify their tendencies, their habits. I think, like you said, a lot of people have a tendency to live in the past, worry about what they did or mistakes or whatever. Many people, and I think business people, I think this is what we do is we live in the future future money, future business, and we worry about things that may or may not ever happen. And I'm with you. I know for me personally, I have to work more on being present. I've got my three-year-old granddaughter that's here with us for a week or two. And outside of doing a few things like this, I need to be present with her because three years old is a very short fleeting time in someone's life. Yeah. And so I think that's really, really powerful. And I do recommend the book I read through the book. I've got a lot of highlights. We weren't able to talk about it a great deal, but uh, Chris, let's do this in our last minute or two. Sure. Where all you've got podcasts, you've got book, you've got your work you do. Where all can people connect with you? We'll include it in the notes, but just tell people yeah. where they could go to find you and get connected, get all your stuff. That is the easiest. It's going to Chris Yonker, C-H-R-I-S-Y-O-N-K-E-R.com. Uh, and there's also a private coaching page. If you want to learn more about private coaching, then there's, you can get all of us there. Um, yeah, maybe just in the, the podcast is secret thoughts of CEOs, secret thoughts of CEOs that they can also they please uh, tune in there. And uh, we're all over the map on content there. Um, so I'd, I'd bring people in that I'm excited to talk to that resonate with my core values and what I believe is what my client's core values are too. Yeah. I listened to an episode this morning and I want to tell the listener that if you're listening here then you'll want to jump over and subscribe or follow or whatever you need to do on your platform because that podcast lines up very well with what we're doing here. It gets you thinking, it presses the envelope on success and things like that. Good match there. Chris, we are seek, go, create those three words. I'm going to give you one of those words over the other two that just resonates with you right now. And why is my last question? Yeah, I'm just going to go with Seek is the word. I, oftentimes, one of the ways I'll sign off on email is a seek piece. That's my sign off. In essence, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we're all looking for a higher level peace in our lives, whatever that means to us. Inner peace, right? Inner connection, inner joy, inner fulfillment. These things are all fine in the, quite frankly, in the present moment. That's, uh, that's where I'm going for the answer. Very cool. I agree with that. There's a reason that word is first in the list. So thank you, Chris, for being on the show. Thank you for listening in. 
If you've listened in, I always like to request share this episode with someone. I believe we had a pretty deep conversation for the 55, 60 minutes that we were here. And I think you know someone that needs to listen in on that. So take a screenshot or share it on whatever platform you're on. Also, get a copy of the book, Soul Intention. I read it. Great book. It will push some buttons for you. It'll get you thinking, which I think is valuable. And then jump over and follow and subscribe Chris on his podcast. Thanks for listening in. Make sure you're following us here. We have new episodes every Monday. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be. Mm -hmm.